0: Um, If you would like to be a part of the choir, or you like to sing, go ahead and see Joe, or fill out the blue sheet. Um, If you're sitting next to somebody who has a great voice, just fill out their name, Form. Because, you know, when you ask people to volunteer, nobody volunteers. You know, it's sort of like the military. You know, if they say, who would like to do it? You would learn first thing in the military, never volunteer. So, um, don't volunteer. But if you want to put down Cassidy's name, if you want to put down, you know, Paul House's name, if you want to put down, you know, Ed Slinkman's name, if you want to put down all the Kingsbury's name, you and know. Give, give me their phone yeah, just go ahead and do that. Um... We continue our study in the Gospel of Matthew today. So if you have your Bibles, I just invite you to turn to Matthew 19. And in Matthew 19, Jesus is teaching about the nature and character of the kingdom of God. And he focuses especially on three subjects. uh, Marriage, children, and possessions. Uh, Last week we considered Jesus' teaching on and marriage, and divorce, and singleness. Uh, and this week we turn to him talking about uh, his ministry regarding children. Um, and, you know, it's only verses 13, 14, and 15. It's, it's just a short, short um, passage. And you almost wonder why it's there, and you wonder what the value is, except that all three Gospels, all the, all the Synoptic Gospels, all share the same story. Um, so it's obvious that there's a lesson for us to be taught here, that he wants, wants us to learn something. Um, but to the, to the disciples, the whole idea of bringing little children to Jesus was rather an intrusion on something that they felt was far more important. Um, But according to Jesus, that's not so. And I think it's important for us to really see that Jesus' perspective on children, because I think it's easy for us to have the same perspective as the disciples, instead of really seeing the importance and the value of children. Uh, Parents in the scene wanted Jesus to touch their children, to bless their children, to pray for their children. And as a parent, I think each of us who's ever been a parent would want to be able to say, you know, I want my children to live a life that's been blessed by God. Um, the most important thing for me was to know that my children had established a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, that I'd been able to be a part of that. Uh, and there was... Times when, you know, with with Micah and his own testimony, that was a challenge. Um, and so when he was in Kansas City going through some major struggles and he called me up and said, when are your next sermons going to be on the Internet? And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, your sermons are going to be on the Internet. I go, my sermons aren't on the Internet. And he goes, yes, they are. And I've listened to all the ones that are on there, like, three times. What are they going to put some new ones on? So then I talked to Jeff, and I said, are our sermons on the Internet? He goes, yeah, I've been putting them on. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but just the fact that he was actually listening to them, was, you know, Anna was, you know, following Christ completely. Um, Micah was now listening to the sermons. I said, God, this is good. I'm done. You can take me now, I'm a happy camper. Um, because I felt my job was done. Um, so that, you know, that was sort of that. And today's lesson tells us about some people who brought their children to Jesus. So let's just take a look at the text. Um, then some children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the children alone, and do not hinder them from coming to me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And after laying his hands on them, he departed from them. If you have your Bibles, Mark, uh, or just look to Mark chapter 10 and Luke chapter 18. Um, and you can just keep those, because those are... The same story in the two other Gospels, and they both give a little bit different or more information about what's taking place. But verse 13 begins with the word then, and the word then is just sort of links things up with what has happened previously to now what he's talking about. And the, then it's sort of rather vague. We don't have a time. We don't know how long of a time there was between Jesus teaching about you know, marriage and divorce and this time. We know from Mark's gospel that he's in a house. We also knew that last week that there were great crowds following Jesus. Um, and out of that crowd, there came some parents, and they brought their children to Jesus. Both Mark and Luke use this imperfect tense, which means they were bringing. Not only did they bring, but they were continuing to bring. So this was sort of like an ongoing stream of parents bringing their kids to be blessed by Jesus. And you could just imagine the disciples are just sort of watching this and say, when is this going to end? When is this line of people going to stop so Jesus can get down to the important business of teaching us and getting going on to Jerusalem? You know, he's got an agenda that we've got to follow. And all these parents, are, for the disciples' mind, are interfering with that. But no doubt, these parents had seen the love of Jesus. They had seen his character. They had seen his healings. They had heard his teachings. And they knew that he was a great teacher. There was something special about this man. And so they wanted their children to be blessed by them. And this was not uncommon in Jewish custom. Um, That's what you were to do. They had been raised to do that. in the Talmud... It said that they were to bring their children to any great teacher of the law that they might be blessed them and pray for them. So parents were doing that. So here come the parents in this progress of bringing their children to Jesus. And it says at the end of the verse, the disciples rebuked them. And Mark emphasizes again the imperfect tense of continuing to rebuke. So it's a strong word. So the parents keep on coming. And the disciples keep on rebuking, and the parents keep on bringing, and the parents <laughs> keep on rebuking. Now, it's an interesting culture that you have going here. Because in the Roman culture, they didn't value babies. In fact, if a person was, had, had a child, and they w- didn't want the child, they would just say, leave it. And, so, and they called it Expose. Just expose the child. And you have letters written that have copies of where a person would say, if it's a boy, take care of it. If it's a girl, just expose it. And in the Jewish culture, the the Christians were going around and collecting these exposed babies and raising them. And so I just find it so interesting how many times as we study the scripture, how close it parallels what is going on in our culture today. That just leave them. And yet the the Jewish community had a different feeling, a different belief, and a different value about their children. But anyway, the word rebuke is a strong word. And it means the disciples were basically threatening them. Look, you can't keep on interrupting the messiah he's got important things to do important things to say and you keep on allowing these kids to interrupt them Um, we're trying to get things done and you're affecting that we just can't have that kind of note or that kind of interruption and also note that the word them the parents who are bringing them is a male tense So it's not the mothers that are coming in here and bringing their kids. It's the men. It's families. They're bringing their kids. It's men who were actively involved in making sure that their children were being blessed. It was that men who were actively involved in what was going on with their children. Um, So the disciples have attempted to keep these parents from bringing their children to Jesus. And Jesus responds not by rebuking the parents, but by rebuking the disciples. Uh, And again, you don't know exactly why the disciples were refusing these parents. Uh, Mark doesn't tell us. Matthew doesn't tell us. Luke doesn't tell us. So anything that is going to be thought about why would strictly be a guess of somebody's opinion. But regardless of the reason, the, the gospel writers are saying that these, in their estimation, these children were not important. These children were not important. And I think so many times in our society, in the church, in other places, we say, well, it's nice that children are nice, but they're not important. If you walked into any church and said, we need somebody to be an elder. We need somebody to lead the woman's Bible study. We need somebody to lead the men's Bible study. We need somebody to have a position of honor. You, you get people to do that. You say, we need people to teach baby Sunday school. Well, that's not, you know, I, We need somebody to work with the children. Nah, because we don't see the same value. Now we will use other excuses, like I don't do well with kids. Or, you know, but you don't have to do well with kids. All you have to do is love them. That's all you have to do is love them. And I find it interesting. I really really do. And I've been wrestling with this in my mind for a long time. If we really believe the things that Jesus says. This is a side note. This is a total sidebar. It has nothing to do with the message. This this is a Joe moment. Um, I know. Go figure. You're having an effect on me. Um, If we believe all the things that Jesus says, we believe in his power to heal, his power to comfort, his power to care, his power to guide, his power to forgive, his love and all that, why is it that even Christians don't experience this irresistible love of God that is transparent or just so that others see it. Because Jesus, the way we portray him should be irresistible. That people should just say, man, if that's what you got, I'm in. I'm totally in. But there's something that has happened with the church that no longer makes it irresistible. Um, In fact, it becomes very easy to resist. That if I don't go to church, no big deal. Because I, when I go to church, nothing significant seems to happen. My relationship with Christ isn't really bringing me this sense of joy even in the midst of struggles. And yet in our life group, we've been looking at 1 Peter, it says two things can go together that we sometimes struggle with, suffering and joy. And somehow we need to be able to be a believers that show that irresistibleness of Christ um, so that the body of believers, people say, why would I want to miss that? That's the best hour and a half of my day or my week, that being with other believers, praying and caring and sharing and worshiping and studying. Um, I struggle with that. I don't know how. And I think part of it is children get it. I take my, cho- my grandchildren to preschool, and they love it. They want to be there. They love the teachers. They walk in and they, they, they love all the teachers. When did we stop loving teachers? Homework. Homework, okay, that, 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 that's a good point, okay. <laughs> quick answer, quick solution. No more homework, we'll continue to love our teachers. Um, <laughs> but there's a point where we stop just loving and maybe it's also that maybe it was no longer acceptable to love the kids you know i know that you know i hug all of the kids if i was in certain churches i couldn't do that you know because it just would not be acceptable and people have said you know andy you shouldn't be hugging kids i can, you know what arrest me i don't care But I'm not going to stop loving the kids. I just can't do that. Um, That's just part of who I am. Anyway. Perhaps the disciples thought that Jesus was too big of a person, too great of a person, as the Messiah of Israel to be bothered with these children. But whatever the case, Jesus' response in verse 14 indicates that close to the heart of Jesus he wanted to convey, uh, was a lesson of humility. Jesus wants to make it clear again that the kingdom that he is setting up belongs to the humble. It doesn't belong to the proud. And think how often he continuously drives home that same message. Uh, Chapter 18 opened up with the declaration. Who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And now once again, Jesus says, if you want to be in my kingdom, if you really want to know what it means to be in my kingdom you've got to have childlike faith you have to have childlike humility you don't come in thinking that I have all the answers you come in with open hands saying God forgive me not only of my evil but forgive me of my good forgive me of the things that I have held on to that have made me think that I don't need you you know, And so Jesus is using this event as an opportunity to instruct the disciples in the necessity of humility. Children were loved in Jesus' time, but they were also socially powerless. And so the disciples have little time for these people who wield little power. And isn't that true with us, that we carry that all the way into adulthood? We base value on a person usually based on what they can contribute back to us or by how much they've done or how much they have succeeded that's their value and so not only do we not place a lot of value on children sometimes we don't place a lot of value on the marginalized um, so the disciples are rebuking the parents and jesus responds by rebuking his disciples Um, because he stops to bless and to pray for these children. And in so doing, he says to the disciples that they must adopt the posture of these children, humility and weakness, if they're going to be great in the heaven. If they're going to be great in the kingdom, it's because they've adopted this place of humility and weakness. And again, that's just not an easy thing for people to do. So in effect, he says, children should be allowed to come to me anytime. They and those like them, those who are children in humility, those who recognize their weakness, those who recognize their need for Christ, are the ones that are going to be saved. So Jesus insisted that the kingdom belongs to those who come from a position of spiritual bankruptcy. Not of spiritual pride, uh, not the proud and self-seeking, but the humble and open, and open like children inherit eternal life. So again, Jesus uses children as a metaphor to speak of those who are childlike in their humility. And he's saying, my kingdom belongs to those who will hum them, humble themselves like children. But the story itself is based upon another reality revealed in this passage. And that children are accorded a special place in Jesus' kingdom. And that reveals the importance of which Jesus attached to children. Jesus is not just praying for them and blessing them who are childlike in their humility. He's blessing and praying for the children. He's touching them. He's holding on. He's listening to them. He's loving them, he's caring for them. Um, And that is very important in light of two things. First of all, in the Old Testament, very often the patriarchs prayed for God's blessing and favor upon their children by the laying on of hands. So by Jesus doing that, he's saying, this is still an important thing to do. We don't stop laying on of hands, we don't stop blessing, we don't stop praying for our children. Um, In fact, in Jesus' time, it was a practice on the evening of the Day of Atonement for good and faithful Jews to take their young children, their infants in arm, and take them to the scribe, the Pharisee, and have them lay their hands on them and pray for a blessing. And they would pray for two things. They would ask the scribe to pray that the child would not depart from the way of righteousness. That they would not depart from who they are in God. Now now we would say who they are in Christ. And they would grow into a full understanding of the knowledge of the law. Jesus would not be praying just the knowledge of the law. But we would be praying that they would grow into a full understanding of who Christ is. Of his grace. Of his power. So this was the responsibility of the parents. To be constantly praying for them. Um... So now these parents are taking their children not to a scribe, but to Jesus. Not only to pray that their children would not depart from the way of righteousness, but that they might grow up in the knowledge of the Lord. So Jesus welcomes these children to himself. And he prays and he blesses them. This passage reminds us that Jesus thought the children of the kingdom were important enough to stop and bless and lay his hands on them." That's a message for every person here. That the children that are here are important enough that we stop, we listen, we pray for them, we care for them. And whether we are single, whether we are married, without children, whether our children have long left the home, or whether we are struggling with three children under the age of three, it is our privilege and our responsibility to help Nurture and the children into adulthood. That's our responsibility. Now, at this point, it simply says in verse 14, Jesus said, permit. And it goes on. But in Mark chapter 10, it gives you a whole different feel there. It says that Jesus is angry with the disciples. He uses the word indignant. And it's a strong word. Now, it's the first time that Jesus uses this word with the disciples. But he uses it all different times. And the disciples were even indignant with Jesus. They said they were angry at Jesus because the woman who came to him and poured perfume over his feet, they said, we could have used that money for other things. And so they were indignant with the fact that this woman would do that and that Jesus would allow it. And there's other places where the Pharisees and the same word was indignant. But this is the first time that Jesus uses it with his disciples. And why this sense of indignation? Not really sure. Doesn't tell us. It's totally left up to our own imagination. So what I'm about to say to you is my own imagination. It's not that the scripture says these are the reasons. But my first guess would be because he loved children. And here were the disciples preventing Jesus from blessing the children or trying to bless or trying to prevent the parents from allowing that to happen. And Jesus would say, don't stop these children from coming to me because I love them. And if Jesus loves them, how much more are we to also love them? Secondly, I think, just so to go along with that, I think he was angry because no one is outside of the care of Christ. No one is outside of the family. No one is outside of his love and his plan to love them. Not even a child. No one, no one ever coming to Jesus is an intrusion on Jesus. So it doesn't matter what the age is. No one is ever an intrusion. Thirdly, I think he was angry because children provide him a tremendous picture, a tremendous illustration, a tremendous analogy of salvation. And he took advantage of it every time he could. And fourthly, I think he was angry with them because he needed to set them straight about something. And that something was this. You don't ever say who and who cannot come to Christ. You don't ever assume who can come and who cannot come to Christ. And sometimes we as people will say they'll never come to Christ. Or we'll say that they, you know, we don't even want to pray them into the kingdom because I'm so angry at them. I don't even wanna pray them in the kingdom because they're a different political party. And I don't even pray them coming because they're of a different faith. I don't even want, we come up with all kinds of reasons. And Jesus said, you can never, can never decide who can and who cannot come into Christ. That's not within our prerogative. And it's a lesson of who's in charge again. And so he's really, Letting us know that we're not in charge. He is in charge. And says this to them in verse 14. Permit little children and forbid them not to come unto me. And what he's saying is right now, let these kids come to me. Let these children come to me. And by the way, in the future, let them continue to come to me. Let them continue to come to me. Ah. Uh, all the things that we do with children the reason why I love having kids here, the reason why I, I don't care about the distractions, I mean, the distractions bother parents, and they bother other people far more than they do me, is because I want kids to grow up saying, I loved being in church. I loved the fact that when I was in church, people loved me that I could come up and I could dance, I could share myself, I could, that they were just here and that they were loved. Um, I also think the reason why we do the Sunday School, the reason why we do the Baby Sunday School, the reason why we have the preschool, the reason why we have always affirmed Aurora Christian and Christian schooling is because We want kids to have the best opportunity to experience Christ throughout their childhood so that as they get older, they may not depart. And if they do depart, they can come back. They may depart for a season, but they come back. And so, you know, I love having the kids. There was a famous preacher, and I can't think of his name. It'll come to me. But he, Hello. what? Barclay. Charles Barkley? That yeah, might have been. Uh, <laughs> glad you're paying attention. <laughs> and, and he was, he had mentioned that he had the best letter he ever got was from a 12 year old girl. And she wrote him a letter saying, I hope you're feeling better soon. Because he had been sick and he had been out of the pulpit for like three weeks. He goes, I hope you're feeling better soon and that you get well because you're the only preacher that we understand. And so for a 12-year-old to be able to say, I like what he says and I understand what he says, he goes, that was the greatest compliment I ever got. You know, that was what was important. But all the things we do is because we believe in the importance of children. The coming of children was important. Why? Um, Is that you find out in verse uh, uh, 14, for such, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Mark tells us in chapter 10 in the parallel passage that after Jesus said these things in verse 16, 16, he took them up in his arms and put his hands on them and blessed them. But he isn't finished. Luke has also a PS to that. And in Luke 18, 17, it says, Whoever shall not receive the kingdom of God like a little child shall no way inherit it. That it's in our humility, not in our strength, that we inherit the kingdom. I just want to draw a couple of things as we close in this, and I usually don't do this. Um, I don't make conclusions a lot most of the time, but as parents, I just want us to—not even parents, but as part of the church—I just want us to remember a couple of words, five words. The first one is remember. Just I want us just remember. Uh, you want to remember that first of all, that God created each one of our children. That God created each one of them. Every child is a direct work of his creative hand. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And so each one of our children is that. And that God gave each one of us a child, and that child was a gift, or anybody who has received a child was a gift. So whether that child was ours, whether that child was one that we adopted, whether that that child is just a part of the family of God, that we are now a part of, that child is a gift to each of us. And so other people's children are a gift to each of us. And if God made them and God gave them, then God wants them returned to him. They are his. We are stewards for a season. But what are we giving back to God as the as season went we return, you know, they we get, get to an adult. What child, what kind of a child are we saying, God, thank you for the stewardship of, your, of your, this child for however many years. And this is what I'm giving back. See, that adds a different level of responsibility to what kind of church we're going to be, what kind of parents we're going to be, what kind of ministry are we going to have towards kids. That's why Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he won't depart from it. And Ephesians 4, 6 clearly says, Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Because the task that we have as a church, the task we have as a parent, is to give your children back to God. That's our stewardship. So remember where they came from and where they're going to return. Secondly, teach. Remember and teach. That's the second key word. Uh, We are called by God to teach our children. But if you're going to teach your children, make sure as to what you are teaching them. You've got to have the right God. You've got to have the right faith. and And it's got to come right out of your heart. It's not just a head knowledge. This is the God I serve. This is what I believe. This is the faith that we live so that we can, go, we can continue to grow when things happen and trust that God is going to be there. It has to be internal, not just external. Something that as we go through life, no matter what happens, our children see, they still believe that God is God, that he is still there. So basically that simply says, we have to teach from life situations. You have the right faith in God, you've internalized it. Your heart is filled with love, your passion towards God. You love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And now out of every trial, every struggle, every moment of life, you teach the truth of God. When you stand up, when you sit down, when you sleep, when you, every time you got an opportunity, you're teaching your children about faith. See, it's not just enough to sit down with your kids and read a Bible story. It's not just enough to bring them to church so they can learn. It's a matter of what do they see on a regular basis and how do they see you living out your faith. So when you sit down and pray, do you sit there and hold hands and pray? Do you sit there and teach and say, this is the most important thing because it's God's love for you. See, all of life becomes a whiteboard in which you teach the truth of God to your children. It's unending, it's unceasing, and it's content. Um, And it's more important to teach in the flow of life's responses. Uh, And then make sure that you have no idols. Make sure you're not serving a bunch of idols and giving your kids a mixed message. This is actually more important than Christ because we spend more time doing this than we do taking time with Christ. A third word then is model. Model. You want to remember that these are God's kids, that he has lent to you. You want to teach them because you know that that you're going to present them back to God, and you want to model. You have to set the example. And last, or not last, next, teach, model, remember, teach, model, forth, love. We don't need to say much about this, but it means that we weep with them. We laugh with them. We hurt with them. We rejoice with them. We sacrifice many times for them. We protect them. We don't provoke or just exasperate them. We're unselfish. We serve them. We provide their needs. Hear that, their needs. Today in our society, parents are providing their kids with wants, not needs. Well, my kid wants this. Okay. Is it what they need to grow spiritually? Well, my kid wants to do that. Is it what they need? My kid wants to do that. Is that an environment where they're going to continue to grow? You need to be able to define what the needs are of your children and then say, my goal is to provide needs, not wants. Show them affection. Give them discipline. Love them in all those ways. And then there's a final word. It's the word trust. And you've done all that trust that God will bring your child up that you've done the best you can and now you've laid them in the hands of God and the God it's up to him and that trust translates into prayer that we continue to pray for our children and not only for our children that we pray for the wisdom the guidance and the strength To do that which we need to do to raise our children, our grandchildren, the kids in the family of God, the kids in our church, in a way that they look at Christ and say, he's irresistible. I I want to be there. I want to be there. So, Father, I just praise you and thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the opportunity that you give us to come together to worship, to grow, to learn, to pray. And Lord, I thank you for the children. I thank you that we can love them, that you have lent them to us for a season. And during that season, Lord, help us to love them as you love them. Help us to understand what it truly means to to care for them, to be a steward of them, to guide them, and that when a parent is struggling, Lord, that we can come alongside and be a support and encouragement. Continue to minister to each of us that we can go forth to minister to others. We thank you, we praise you, and we ask these things. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And all God's people said.